The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. In a world filled with big, big problems, two men decided to discuss something that, in the grand scheme of things, was very small indeed. This is Totally Super. Hi, welcome to Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And uh, this is a PG-rated podcast, so the obvious joke to your intro is not going to be made here. <laughs> Anybody who listens to Truck <laughs> Off will be able to go, wow, Justin, you held back more than I thought you um, <laughs> I, I, I will be honest. As soon as the words were out of my mouth, I was like, oh, what is this unlocked? Yeah, no, but, no, uh, I can good, be good. good I us. can be good. Um, I, I, I think we should be proud of us. Yeah, we are discussing Ant-Man and the Wasp today. This might come as some uh, surprise to you if you've been listening to the podcast uh, in general or if you're listening to it uh, like a year from when we're recording because we just recorded X-Men, right? So let's look behind the curtain real quick. Let's look behind the curtain of Totally Super real quick. We recorded X-Men as like our fourth show. Like months mm-hmm. ago. Um, and then we kind of went down the rabbit hole on other properties. And we were like, well, well X-Men's in the can if we ever like really need it. Um, yeah. So we we recorded and we recorded X2 and we recorded X3. And then we got all these other things, all these Avengers things that we're kind of leading up to. And we got through all of that. And we finally released X-Men. And then Solo came, or then Solo came out, and then we released X Men, and we were totally ready to release X Two. Now there was a whole month that passed, um, before like before we released X Men, and then mm-hmm. the promise was X Two, and hey, we're back after a month of being gone. And I was ready to post the recording for X Two, and then it turned out that somehow the audio for the recording for X Two. Um, on your end has has disappeared somewhere and we're still searching Vanished. for it. M- mea culpa, there, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Uh, there is, thank you, Judge Turpin. Um, there is a chance. <laughs> wow, uh, nice music theater l- reference. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Isn't that great? Um, there is, that wasn't planned, guys, Sweeney Todd fans. That was not planned. That was totally yeah, off the I, I, I would also just, I, I'm sorry, I just need to point out, I love the fact that instead of saying, ooh, nice reference from the Catholic Mass, you say, nice Sweeney Todd reference. I know. <laughs> you and I that, went that to says the same so much Catholic about us, church really. at separate times, but they never said those words at yes. that Catholic church. Um, so, yeah, so X2 is not found x3 exists and it is a great recording so at some point we're going to do x2 probably after we do what we're doing here x2 might be new followed by our old recording of x3 it's going to be very strange but i hope you enjoy it Mm -hmm. and even this we're doing a little weird because we're doing part two before doing part one this one snuck up on us ant-man of the wasp today ant-man of the wasp which just came out we loved when we can to get we wanted to do this for incredibles we didn't get a chance to we have a chance here to give our first reactions and i just asked the question before we started recording hey arthur should we record like ant-man and ant-man 2 together in a single show to which you responded well seeing as how i haven't yet seen ant-man in its entirety i don't believe that would be the wisest course of action to which I responded, hey, so here we are. That that gives us a real interesting thing to talk about because on Monday when I go see the Bare Naked Ladies in concert, which I'm super excited about because it's my 17th. Oh, time dude, nice. Them, um, my mother is going to take my son, who just saw Ant Man of the Wasp, to 
uh, to see Ant-Man and the Wasp again, and she has never seen a Marvel movie. This will be her first I tell you, Marvel I've movie. I've never seen a Marvel movie at all. That's this is yes. a pretty decent one to... I, I, I tell you, that was something I was very interested in as I was as I was sitting down to, to watch it, because I was thinking, it is it is astonishingly rare that I have the chance to watch a sequel without having watched the first one. So, of course, you know, one of the things that you have to do in a sequel is sort of you have to accommodate for people who haven't seen the first one. Uh, So this was one of the few times ever that I got a chance to experience. Well, how well did this film accomplish that? Marvel in general creates a, a sense of continuity where you kind of, mm-hmm. ha- I mean, God help you if you try to see Avengers uh, Avengers Infinity War without having seen any of the other movies. You will have mm-hmm. no idea what is going <laughs> and on. And you won't have a good time. But this, can it work? Can it be done? Before we start, since this is where we are, can you name other movies that you've seen the sequels to before you've seen the original? Because the first one that pops Ooh. into my mind is Aliens. I saw Alien before ever having seen Alien. Uh, I saw Aliens, rather, before ever having seen Alien. And I knew the basic concept of what the alien did, and it grew inside you an asset for blood. And I knew that Sigourney Weaver fought the aliens. And that's kind of all I knew. And as the movie began, they said, hey, she's been in cryosleep. And that's kind of all they told me. I loved yeah. Aliens on first viewing. I, I tell you, the, the first it. Aliens film I saw was Aliens 3. Now, granted, I was like 12, so I don't know how well I would have understood. And again, I, I kind of knew about the alien and the facehugger already. Um, but so technically, yes, I did see one of the alien sequels before I saw the original, but it wasn't the good alien sequel. Yeah. Uh, um, spoiled me on alien. Frankly, I've learned to appreciate alien over the years and what Ridley Scott was going for in the uh, cold, quiet um, doom. Oh, of they're completely film. different films. But. I love aliens so much that when I then went around to watch alien, I was kind of like, well, this is kind of boring. Where's, where's Mm -hmm. the giant guns? (laughs) Um, so (laughs) I'm trying to think of the giant guns and explosions. All I'm getting is a quiet mounting sense of existential dread. (laughs) That should be the poster. The movie with a quiet (laughs) imposing sense of existential dread. No one can hear your quiet wonders about the uselessness of existence. Um, Probably, I know I saw The Color of Money before I ever saw The Hustler. I can't, it's hard for me to think of a movie where I've seen a sequel before. How about you? Do you have one where you saw a sequel before the original that you can think of? I'll be honest, not much jumps to mind. There's a number of video games that I've played the sequels to without playing the original. Um, and those are, those are, it's usually an easier transition to make because video games don't rely quite so heavily on, well, most of them don't rely quite so heavily on plot and story as, uh, as movies do. Uh, but to be honest, no, nothing has really jumped. Nothing really comes to mind. Okay. So all that being said, having seen usually the original before we see sequels and in the world of Marvel serialization comes Ant-Man and the Wasp coming just mere months after Avengers Infinity War, wherein, spoilers Mm. for Avengers Infinity War, almost everybody dies. Everybody dies. And it's supposed to be a 50-50 finger snap, but darn it, it doesn't really feel like much of a 50-50 finger snap. It feels like like an 80-20 finger snap at this point. Yeah, it kind of does. And let's, you know, let's just jump to the meat of this. Uh, The... 
the fact that the after credit sequence was exactly the after credit sequence that we all knew was coming for months. Uh, I actually kind of appreciate that fact. Yeah, the way that they handled it was done really well. This movie takes place, I guess, probably just weeks before it would seem, because it seems like they are not that much further past the the point of Ant-Man of the Wasp when they're doing the post-credit scenes for this film. So it would seem that this film is taking place weeks before the events. Of, yeah, and I don't think the exact. I, I I get the sense that they they didn't worry too much about exactly how it fit into the timeline, which I kind of liked. Like after Infinity Wars, which was you know great and epic you know, I mean, and everything. Is it okay I, if I I, I get the feeling this? That, I I know you all hate when mommy and daddy fight, but I'm going to have to starkly disagree starkly <laughs> with what you said. Uh, and I don't do this. I know that the number one rule of improv is that you never ever deny except that i can tell you that this place takes place one year 353 days after the events of civil war okay well that's a good point i guess with civil that's a good point no because of the uh because of the uh the house arrest thing no i'll I'll, i will own on that yeah Um, they they, they actually do place it well i'm sorry that was just not fair of me and i i'm a jerk head but i like being right (laughs) okay go on well that's i'm glad that somebody likes it when you're right it happens so infrequently. I've been married a very long time. <laughs> uh, no, so, um, but no, that's a good point. The uh, But I guess what I'm saying is in terms of feel, uh, Infinity War was this huge, epic, spectacular thing, and we loved it. And afterwards, boy, did we just need a palate cleanser. What we needed was a good, old-fashioned, just... Uh, it's not the the fate of the world isn't at stake. There's not space aliens coming down. It's just, hey, here's a superhero and here's a bad guy. And oh, my gosh, look at this. Here's some good old fashioned gangsters out for out for money and a car chase in San Francisco. Uh, it, like there was just something like uh, first. I really enjoyed the movie, but there was just something so wonderfully I can't believe we've reached the point in superhero films when I can say this. This superhero film was so wonderfully mundane compared to everything else that Marvel has been doing. Well, uh, let's take it even a step I, further. Outside of thinking that there might be collateral damage somewhere, does anybody die in this film? I was actually thinking, I really appreciated this, that this is the first superhero film I've seen in a while in which... Uh, Nobody dies, nor was and there no a one. Need but to. evil is not punished except for the gangsters. But the true yeah. antagonist of the film walks away with a lesson learned. Yeah, um, that is the, I, it actually it was, it was a it was a wonderfully wholesome film. Yeah, I don't I don't know how this film could even get a PG thirteen if it is PG thirteen. I mean, I imagine it's PG thirteen because they all are. But for the life of me. This is a bloodless film. It's a fun film. One thing when I called mm-hmm. my brother after this film um, and he asked how it was, he thought the first one was so funny. And I said, you know, this one is less funny than the first one to a point, but it really delivers on the promise of the premise to steal a term mm-hmm. from Save the Cat. It really, you want to see what it's like when everybody and everything can grow and shrink and fight with growing and shrinking all the time. This film grows and shrinks constant it's just just like the first film was like here's some growing and some shrinking and paul rudd being funny this film is paul rudd's funny sometimes but look at all the growing and shrinking i loved it yeah loved it i I mean i'll be honest the first uh the first fight in the uh like in the kitchen uh of the hotel 
Uh, I remember thinking, you know, watching the shrinking and the and the growing and the the kicking and the punching and the I've been Laban. I remember thinking this this would be a delightfully difficult but so rewarding video game to design. Um, oh, yeah. Like it would, you know, to much the same degree that I remember, you know, when watching The Matrix, I was like, man, if they can make a video game that pays off in sense of that gives you the player that sense of shifting in and out of bullet time and making you feel like a total badass like that would be a great success um and uh to a certain extent i think they did that with the video game enter the matrix if they could make a game where as the player you have control to shrink and grow and weave that all into the the usual punches and kicks that would go with the fighting game uh i mean you might really have something on your hands there but it would be extraordinarily difficult well, we've come to the point in the podcast where I'm going to try without too many ums and ums and ahs to give you the plot of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, shall we and now it's the- time for Justin's one minute synopsis and go, go. In the 80s, Janet Van Dyme, the original Wasp, and Hank Pym were attempting to disarm a nuclear missile, but because the casing was too tight, she had to go subatomic, getting lost in the quantum realm. Cut to two years after the events of Captain America's Civil War, where Ant-Man, still under house arrest for helping Captain America in his fight against Iron Man, is once again encountered by Hank Pym, this time in the form of a dream from his erstwhile wife, Janet, where he detects that she is in the quantum realm. He decides, Scott decides to contact Hank and his former lover, Hope, who has been running missions for Hank as the Wasp. Together, they go and try and find the components necessary to retrieve the wife uh, Janet Van Dyne original wasp from the quantum realm but somebody else has some plans for what Hank has in mind you see a character who we referred to as the ghost later on referred to as Ava and her mentor slash kind of adopted father Lawrence Fishburne Dr. Foster also need what Hank is dealing with you see if they can get back Hank's like well, I can't call her Hank's wife that's so misogynistic me. Sorry. If they can get Janet back from the quantum realm, they can suck quantum particles out of her and make Ava whole once again. Multiple battles ensue. There are gangsters who are also trying to get money from Hope because they discovered that she was lying and they're trying to get more stuff. I don't really know what they're trying to do. They're just kind of there. Um, and Scott and everybody have to battle to see who's going to get Janet back from the quantum realm first. And at the same time, Scott needs to do his level best to not get caught three days before the end of his house arrest so he can go free and be with his daughter. And yet he must do this mission as the FBI is constantly breathing down his neck, frequently going back to his home and making excuses for why he's not there. At the end of the movie, it turns out all is well. Ava is healed. Dr. Foster goes free with her and serves as her mentor. Scott makes it home before the FBI comes looking. He gets to go out and be with his daughter. Hank and Janet and Hope or Hank and Janet go breeze their house in some far off land while Hope is reunited and becomes 
becoming partners with Scott and his daughter in tow until we get to a post credit scene where Scott needs to get quantum healing particles to continue treating Ava from the quantum realm. Hope and Janet and Hank lead him into the quantum tunnel to go retrieve said particles. And when he asks for a, a trip or roadmap back, suddenly they're not there as we see they faded to Thanos inspired. Well done, sir. Well from done. memory, sir. Yeah, <laughs> from memory. That's right. Because God, it must have been almost 24 hours since you've seen that film. However, not did you even, recall not it? Even. There's a lot to follow yeah. here. The when I was going through there, I was just going, oh my gosh, I have to keep track of Scott and Hope. And we haven't talked about Louise mm-hmm. or don't really talk much about the gangsters, but it's kind of not what this, I mean, Before the gangsters we- are fun and Scott and Louise are fun and the FBI is fun. And it feels like those are all sort of, uh, sort of the, like when you see a circus, like the clowns that come out in between the major acts, they're there to kind of be like, hey, hey, yeah. here's some more stuff that's happening over here. Let's well, there, keep there's a difference going. The, when it comes to bad guys there's a difference between villains and henchmen and the the bad guys and the cop or you know and the gangsters and the cops kind of fall into the even even though they don't answer to anybody they they do fall just into that henchman category where as do they as do Luis and to, the other guy as well <laughs> like yeah they get they exist to get beaten by the good guys um I think the, uh, that- before we dive into the nitty before we dive into the nitty gritty of it, I want to address something that occurred to me about, especially once uh, Hank started doing the deep dive into the quantum realm, uh, and that is, and I think we touched on this a little bit when we reviewed Solo, the difference between science fiction and uh, you know and more and uh, technological fantasy, uh, because they the, uh, the 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 massive leaps of rational logic that they make when talking about anything quantum in this is if you are expecting any kind of actual scientific coherence, there is zero. And, uh, and they Scott kind of turns around and says, you just put the word quantum in front of everything, quantum in front of everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the and it, it occurred to me, you know, especially and when they're contacting uh, Janet, who, you know, so far as we know, is the only person to have ever been in the quantum realm. She says, oh, I'm located on the other side of the quantum void in the wasteland. And it's like, who who named the way? Like, did you just decide I'm going to name this the wasteland? And then when you tell and then when you talk to the first people that you've talked to in 30 years, you don't say, oh, yeah, I kind of called this place the wasteland. It's like, no, it's called the wasteland. It's just always been called the wasteland. Uh, so on the surface, these seem like um, gross inconsistencies. Uh, however, strangely enough, um, they lend the quantum realm a wonderfully magical and mythic quality. Uh, the fact that there's something on the other side of the quantum void called the wasteland. Is it scientific? No, but does it excite a sense of wonder and delight, especially when you, you know, when you actually get to see what that looks like? And mad props to the special effects team for doing that, too. Um you know, the quantum, especially when they're in the wasteland and every aspect of the landscape is constantly shifting. Uh, like, so I guess my overall thought with this is, yeah, there were a lot of uh, scientific inconsistencies in this. But, you know, I ended up not caring because that was the very inconsistencies of them allowed them to to tell a better story and to kind of just paint this beautiful, marvelous picture. Uh, essentially they create like the quantum realm now seems like this really, really cool world that I want to spend more time in. I think that 
it's worth noting the new aesthetic of Marvel since the original Guardians of the Galaxy and the way things have changed. There is a lot of flash and dazzle, a lot of bright colors, a lot of lights. And it's worth noting you can tell the real difference from the first Ant-Man to this one. Just the way you can see the difference between the original two Thor movies and Thor Ragnarok. Or even the first two Avengers movies and Avengers Infinity War. For all the dark subject matter of Avengers Infinity War, there's a lot of bright, crazy colors. There is this sense it's- now. It's it's much more like the 80s comics. You're right. The idea of flashing primary and secondary colors and bright flashing lights for sometimes almost no reason is part of the new Marvel aesthetic. And I frankly like it. I frankly feel that doubling down on that kaleidoscope of color when you are next to the DC universe trying to... Allowing yourself to no longer be grounded in reality. It's worth noting that the original Iron Man tries very hard to be grounded in reality. Um, That's a good point. And there are exceptions to this rule. Of course, there are. the original Ant-Man was somewhat grounded in reality, although he's riding around on ants. So, you know, um, but Spider-Man Homecoming relatively grounded in reality, except there's a whole lot of bright colors and green. And there's still that sense mm-hmm. of bright flash and wonder to the films it feels like a bright comic book i think that for a batman film what the dc is doing makes a bunch of sense but it has never made sense to me that if you're going to make these films that are meant to dazzle why you would take the color palette and tone it down at all these are meant to be dazzling film and i think that it's there's a part of me that feels like it's a reaction to dc Part of me feels like it's an aesthetic reaction that they go, okay, you know what? You want to go dark? Fine. We're going to take everything. We're going to take the color and brightness and just like, like an old CRT TV and just turn them up. And I love it. I think I found myself just smiling the way that I would at a fireworks display or a laser light show. It's just kind of like, we, you know, it occurs to me. uh, There's a phrase I've ended up using a lot when I talk about uh, a story, uh, particularly big operatic uh, kind of tales, uh, you know, epics is I'll frequently say, okay, this paints in primary colors. Uh, and I've just, and I've just realized you talking about that. Marvel is literally painting in primary colors right now, uh, both in its, you know, in its actual cinematography and the, the color scape that it uses, which you're right, is much brighter and much more dazzling. And that actually, uh, that coincides. And I feel actually better supports the, that sense of whimsy and fantastical, well, marvel that they want their stories to create. Like if I think in my mind right now of say Black Panther, you know, if I if I close my eyes and immediately just think Black Panther, any image that flashes into my head is completely covered in sunlight and and saturated in color, and you know and uh you know and and the the the, the color palette is uh, is much more akin to what you would get in an African color palette, but that in and of itself is incredibly colorful. I close my eyes and think, okay, Infinity Wars. And the first thing that comes to mind is the colorscape of Titan. Uh, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Um, so it's, so it's, I t- think it's, and so I would build on that and say, it's not just that they're painting uh, in these big delightful colors now, but that that actually better supports the sense of the fantastic and the heroic that they're trying to create. The original Ant-Man, which you have not seen, is kind of a is is a hodgepodge of Marvel fun, kind of inner space sort of uh sort of funny jokiness, right next to a good sense of Ocean's Eleven 
and a mm-hmm. kind of a sort of Seth Rogen-ish, you know, the, well, I mean, uh, Paul Rudd, it was, this, 40, this is 40, which seems very much like this. Um, this sort of sense yeah. of, you know, everyone's kind of riffing. This is very different than that in that it is kind of a bunch of little, it's one big quest with a bunch of mini quests going on at the same time. And everything seems, there's a sense of we're just setting up the next fun thing that we're going to do and i think that what's interesting is i usually really rail against that where i go oh if they're just moving along to set up this set piece and they're just moving on to set up this set piece but the fact that that scott never really wants to be there and he is willing to do what he needs to do to help and to be a hero but his love is for his daughter and everything every time he's leaving the action to go back to what he's doing it's because of his love for his daughter it's an immediate emotional hook that really is sort of when you look at you're supposed to have your in a well-written screenplay, you have your internal conflict and your external conflict. And this really does a good mm-hmm. job of Scott has to jump back and forth between his internal and external conflict. He has to go from being Ant-Man to being dad and back and forth. And the importance, the, how he's pulled from one world to the other, I think really gives sort of the narrative tension that leads into uh, a, an emotional involvement that the first one did not have for Um and I thought that was very, very cool. And there's a lot about parenting in this film. I mean, there's, there's sins of the father is a huge theme in this film. Mm, good point. I mean, if you yeah, think and about the, it, uh, the daughter, his daughter, Cassie, is one of the most fantastic uh, film daughters I have seen in a long, long time. Oh, uh, yeah, both she, the character and the actress playing her. Yeah, she doesn't pull him away. She wants him to be Ant Man more than he wants to be Ant Man. Like his, she's yeah. a fan of his, and he feels the weight of that responsibility. Let's just go real quick through the uh, through the characters again. There's this is not this is not Batman v Superman. We're gonna have a ton to debate. There's not a lot to debate. This is fun. I like if you yeah. if you gotta go if you don't have any more time for our podcast. Fine, let's just tell you go see this film. This is super yeah, it's fun. Good. It's super fun. You can I can't imagine like having a a better time just sitting watching a movie, eating some popcorn. You don't have to walk out like with your hand over your heart like you had to do with Avengers, which was also great. But <laughs> yeah. this is just like have a great time. Get get the big tub yeah. of popcorn this time. It's good. It's a, it's it's a delightful romp. So um, character by yeah. character, what did you think? Uh now you've seen Captain America Civil War, so you've seen Paul Rudd play mm-hmm. Ant Man before. Well, so talking about uh, Scott as a character, uh, and again, yes, I saw Captain America Civil War, so I knew him. And yeah, and in Civil War, I, you know, I get the sense of, oh, cool, good guy, you know, wisecracking, you know, sort of fun, the, you know, the lovable goof. Cool. Um, You know, obviously, this film uh, revealed a lot more. Uh, The very opening scene where he's taking the daughter through the, you know, the fort that he's built. uh, And again, this is from somebody who has not seen the first one. you know, my first thought was, wow, this guy's got a lot of spare time on his hands, which then was immediately explained why uh, because of his house arrest. But the other thing, and I remember very specifically thinking as they're doing the escape pod and going down the stairs on the cardboard tunnel, I was like, okay, what this film has just showed me is that this guy is one of the best dads ever. Like this guy is a great father because he is not only is he thinking about doing fun stuff with his daughter, but like everything about this took a lot of time and care and he clearly did it. Uh, he clearly did it with delight. Yeah. Um, Side note. So F this great father. I mean, big F word to this great father, because <laughs> on the way home, my seven year old looks at me and goes, dad, can we build that in our house? I was like, no, he's like, why? 
I was like, cause it, well, you could say, well, maybe explain to him that the next time that you get in trouble with the FBI and are forced to remain on house arrest for two years, maybe then you can build a yeah, fort seriously. in the backyard. Yeah, I know. He, he was very interested in that as an excuse. I, I actually, I will say this. <laughs> if, if this kid's, this movie's fine for a seven year old. If you got kids, go see, take this to him too, by the way. This is the perfect yeah. family film. Anyway, go on. Totally um, safe for them. Yeah. Uh, he plays Paul Rudd, right? I mean, it's, he's, like and and that's not a slam on him. He plays Paul Rudd very well. I mean, no. Paul Rudd's never had to be Ant Man. Paul Rudd's never had to be in mm-hmm. these situations. Um, but the yeah. the the character there there are as was explained to me. There are two kinds of actors. Uh, one is an actor who can disappear into a role. Your your Gary Oldman is the one that always comes to mind. Where every role he is, yep. you can't you can't believe that Sirius Black is also Winston Churchill is also Commissioner Gordon is also mm-hmm. the burnt up guy from the from Hannibal. You just can't believe that these are all the same. England in general, English actors tend to be much better at that than American. That is a gross oversimplification, but yeah, that that is frequently a hallmark of the English style of training. And then there's the actor who, when you hired Paul Rudd to play Ant-Man, you didn't hire him to play Ant-Man the way that Al Pacino would play Ant-Man or the way that, you know, let's think of a younger actor than Al Pacino, the way that, uh, what's his name from the Christopher Nolan Batmans? Um, <laughs> Christian Bale. Uh, Christian, can't take it with these ants. Uh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm so just thinking about Pacino now. <laughs> um, like, like you, you, <laughs> Paul, you, you hired him to be Paul Rudd. That's why you hired him in that role. You hired him not because you want Paul Rudd to become Ant-Man, but because when you thought of Ant-Man in your mind, you saw Paul Rudd. Yeah. You watched a bunch of Paul Rudd movies and you're like, I like that guy. Let's get that guy. Let's get him to do that thing. Um, So I find him. I'm such a fan of him. I find him affable. I find his his. I find him emotionally relatable. I, I understand what he's going through. I kind of understand his pathos. I am down with with everything that he's doing. So I am I am mm-hmm. a huge, much bigger fan than I was after the first Ant Man. Frankly, he is now one of my favorite Avengers. Um, I oh, cool like this guy a lot. Um, Evangeline Lee, like, hope from you, lust. You legit or, or, get the sense that like I, of the Avengers, I could see him and Cap becoming like really good friends. Yeah, or they Cap, both have that just sort of opt. Or Cap would absolutely hate him. <laughs> like. There's this part of Cap that I can imagine Cap being like, like, really, dude, because Cap, for all of his optimism, Cap is also very serious and mission minded. And, you know, mm, that's guy's, true. Yeah. Um, uh, Ev- Kate from Lost. Uh, she is not Evangeline Lilly. That's not fair. The, in the first one, she seemed very much like Kate from Lost. Uh, this is she has so much warmth in this that I never felt from Kate from Lost. Mm-hmm. Um, I will this, say that the. Uh, I, I agree with that completely. The uh, I will say when when she sees her mother at the end and starts crying, um, the thought that went through my mind was, oh, yeah, I'd forgotten how good uh, Evangeline Lilly was at screen crying, uh, which, you know, Kate from Lost did a lot yeah. uh, in much the same way that, you know, when we talk about Sarah Michelle Geller, she gives really, really yeah. good screen cry that just sort of tugs at your heartstrings. Evangeline Lilly does the same thing. Let's say what Evangeline Lilly does incredibly she is the first named character on the poster that is female in all of the 20 marvel films there are a surprising amount of marvel films that end with the word man iron man ant-man spider-man oh, lots you're of man right. 
There's a ton of man, and there's never been a female character named on the poster. This is... Holy the, crap. The Wasp right. is the first time that you've had a female character. And you know what? It doesn't matter. And it, mm-hmm. I mean, it matters from a, from a sociological point of view. It's awesome that it's finally happened, but it's... Like she doesn't have to excuse herself. She isn't like there's no there's no yeah, but she's a woman. But that no, she's just a, she's a hero. She's just a hero. Yeah, and, it's this and, this film. And does I want to be clear. Job there's going to be someone of, out there who's pissed still because I said it doesn't matter. No, it matters. It matters big time that they finally yeah. <laughs> did it. That matters. Yes, that's what's important. Yeah, no, yeah, the the context within which we are saying it doesn't matter is a very specific context because of course in the grand general sense of the thing it matters a huge. Yeah, let's cover those bases. Yeah, I want I want to make, but uh, what they didn't do is it's not you know she is not in her satin tights fighting for your rights, which is not a slam on Wonder Woman because Wonder Woman accomplished everything it was going out to do and it was perfect. But this wasn't. I cannot wasn't wait a, till we review that one. Yeah, go yeah, on. It wasn't about her femininity or non-femininity. She was absolutely a beautiful woman. Yes, but that's not what this was about. This was just about mm-hmm. her being a brilliant scientist badass superhero awesome expert in everything she does but not in like what you might go oh mary sue it's earned in the first movie you find out she can do all this stuff um she Mm -hmm. is she is absolutely the most capable person in this film and not in a way that is about it this let's think about it this way because there's a to, to build off of that the um you know when talking about uh when talking about uh, pushing for gender equality in uh, superhero films or just films in general, um, there's really there's two. I feel like there's sort of um, it's a two pronged approach and both prongs are necessary. The first one are uh, films like Wonder Woman in which, no, her being a woman is absolutely a crucial and important part of the storyline. And, um, and that film that is important be... sociologically for that. Re- women need to see. Yes. Being a woman is a wonderful thing to be proud of in a heroic sense. At least that's what mm-hmm. I am told. And I also believe it's not my place to say what women need to see. I want to be so careful. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause um, not only but for the, the uh, general this, listenership, but I know that Alexi is going to listen at some point. And if I miss, <laughs> I, so, I, I do love the. Well, and actually, I think I, I love the fact that it's not you're not. You know, every time you say something, you don't hedge your bets because you're you're worried about some vague militant feminist threat or anything. You're no, just worried about person. Alexia. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, absolutely. The uh, yeah. Uh, the other prong, though, is you need. Fi- so the other prong of the approach is you need films where the character's gender does not matter at all. Uh, I'm thinking about it now. And OK, so uh let me Ant add that. Can I add a wasp. data point for you? They, Let me add this data point. The character yeah. of Ghost in the comics mm-hmm. is a male character. Go. Ooh, awesome. There you go. Uh, I hadn't even thought about Ghost, but yeah, uh, Ghost's gender doesn't matter. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Okay. They, yes, they have a romantic relationship, but if I stop and think about it and say, okay, let's change Hope to a guy and then just say that Scott and, you know, and Hope are gay. Okay, literally everything in this movie still works pretty much exactly the same way. Let's change Scott to a woman. Um, Okay, you know, some aspects of the father-daughter relationship become a little bit more mother-daughter relationship. But again, for the most part, everything works the same. Uh, This was uh, this was absolutely a movie in which gender was kind of gender was not a big deal for anybody. 
And that Which, was kind from of awesome. a screenwriting perspective, is absolutely deliberate. This is not accidental. This is not. It's mm. so. It's, it's much harder to not fall into the tropes that you've seen a million times in movies before. Like these, the people who mm-hmm. wrote this movie are clearly fans of movies, and they've watched a million yeah. movies where they did not do this. So we are all subconsciously trained to do it the other way. You know, to do to, to quote another Michelle Pfeiffer movie. If you're gonna have Catwoman, it's got to be life's a bitch. Now, so am I. Fun line, but when you really think about it, that's mm. like that's all about I'm a woman and now I'm tough. And that's it's mm-hmm. it's this movie doesn't need to necessarily shine a spotlight and go like and, yeah. and that is that is deft and responsible and thoughtful screenwriting to make sure yeah. that and I'm sure it was edited and edited and edited line by line. Are you sure about this line? Are you sure about this? Do we need to like she is objectified by the gangster guy and there's a point where that might have become gross and it approaches the line and only goes as far it as was, it needs to. But you're to right. Be. It was it, it was not it was not so much as to be a thing. It was an, in, there was a little bit of the trite uh you know the lecherous guy with the t- clear toupee sort of thing but uh, but yeah they didn't push that too hard yeah, um they, speaking they of that though, only as far as it reflected on him and then stopped before it victimized her or the women in the Ooh, audience that's a nice distinction yeah it uh, it only reflected him it no way reflected on or sullied her um yeah. let's talk about janet van dyne uh, and yeah. let me just say that I think one of the, one of the images that stands out so clearly in my head, I think possibly one of my favorite images in this film. Uh, I loved the credit sequence where they just, you know, they had all the characters made up as like little action figures posed in uh, in various situations. Uh, when it went into the quantum room, I'm sorry, the action figure of Michelle Pfeiffer is Janet Van Dyne with that sort of like makeshift spear and the white flowing hair. and everything. That was one of the most badass action figures I've ever seen in my life. Well, let me uh, let me say this yep. about Michelle Pfeiffer because somebody did this. This is a meme. It's totally not fair to Michael Douglas. I got to say it, but it showed young Michael Douglas and young Michelle Pfeiffer, and then it showed old Michael Douglas and old Michelle Pfeiffer. Now, let's first talk about the de aging at the beginning of the film. Much better. Like, the first film has great de aging. This is spookily great. Like there is no uncanny mm-hmm. valley, well, especially here. At the, like the the and the Lawrence Fishburne de aging too was actually really not, that's, really there's no de aging on the Lawrence Fishburne. Um, there's not that's his son. <sighs> that get out. Well, no, the face they de aged his face, but the stand in was the stand in was his son. But there was some de aging of his face. The problem with the, with the de aging of Lawrence Fishburne is I know what Lawrence Fishburne looks as a young man, and this just looked like a less old version of the old Lawrence Fishburne. He didn't look like Cowboy Curtis. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like, like where? <laughs> oh, that's true. Uh, uh, that's whereas, true. <laughs> whereas, clearly, they just took Michael Douglas from Wall Street and made him look like that. Um, mm-hmm. So they showed young, young and old. The thing about Michelle Pfeiffer is she's hot now, and I don't mean after all this thing I said about about you know not objectifying. Maybe it's because when I was twelve, I did objectify her because I was in love. In absolute love, she was going to be my wife. We were going to have beautiful children, mostly from her genes. Um, now, now the w- question is: Was this after seeing Catwoman or after seeing Dangerous Minds? Um, well, no, Dangerous Minds was much later for me. This was uh, this was even pre, uh, somewhat pre Catwoman, Married to the Mob, um, Grease oh, Two. Oh wow, okay. Um, but Catwoman, yeah, Catwoman cemented that for me. I was in love with her. So always, you know, I have she hasn't been around lately. I haven't seen her in anything for like 10 years. 
And so, so I saw her young and I was like, oh, there she is. Oh, we're going to see her old. And then we see her old and like, man, she's amazing. She's still incredibly, I am, my wife would be okay with me saying this. I am attracted to current age Michelle Pfeiffer. Were I single and she interested, I would date that woman. She is beautiful still. And I know I just did this whole thing about not objectifying. I'm sorry. It's not fair because she's, take that away. She's also an astounding actress and always has been incredibly talented, wonderfully well-spoken, very intelligent, all those things. But I am... I'm I'm in serious crush on Michelle Pfeiffer still. Is that okay? Do you think that's okay? Can you guys give so. me a pass? Give yeah. me a pass on it, please. Um uh despite that her performance is I mean uh, expectedly powerful. She is mm-hmm. strength as and- is Paul as is Paul Rudd's performance when channeling her. Yes, uh, but but also funny when ch- channeling her. That's Oh, hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. Um so uh so yeah I'm sorry to have, I I have all this wonderful stuff to say about Evangeline Lilly and then I immediately go Michelle Pfeiffer's hot. <laughs> it's sorry 12 year old me 12 year old me is still locked away in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, um yeah you know this this film had a lot of just really great characters that uh ah okay, I feel bad um all of Scott's compatriots in Xcon uh I loved that dynamic. Um, oh, his, Michael Payne is always great. I love Michael Yeah, Michael Pena. Pena. So here's the thing. Like, again, I've never seen the first one. So Michael Pena, you know, was kind of like a, you know, when his character really first came on and I started seeing just like, it's like, oh, wow. Okay. You're turned up to 11. That this is a thing. But, uh, but it, you know, but it was quite charming throughout. Um, I, I loved the other two. Um, the whole Baba Yaga thing to me with, uh, with the Russian uh, just delighted or uh, delighted me to no end. What did you think of the the flashback thing? Because they do that a few times in the original Ant Man, and it's wonderful. I love it in this movie. It's wonderful when he's speaking, and then they show his flashback, and everybody else is speaking what he's speaking. Oh, it's a great effect. It made me wonder if uh, it made me wonder if uh, the people, and maybe in the original Ant Man too, were just like, "Hey, you know that thing that they do on drunk history so incredibly well? Let's yes. totally do it in this film." Yeah, it's all because uh, it's exactly it's- the same thing, and it is. Uh, I it, there's something I I can't quite describe why, but about watching somebody else mouth exactly along to the lines, which God I cannot imagine how many takes that must be it's to have so to do. It's uh, so funny, but it is so much fun. Um, I want to. Uh, th- she doesn't get that much to do in this, but my wife and I recently had a conversation about Judy Greer, who plays Lang's ex-wife Maggie. Um, mm-hmm. I, we all know her as Cheryl slash Carol from Archer, of course. But she has been in everything. Oh, my God. I have you, not. Wow. Thank, you didn't realize? Wow. I did not realize. That's I, I feel my life has made the better now for having made yes. that connection. Thank you. Thank she's you, sir. In, she's in everything. She's just in every. She does voices all over the place. She, you will remember her from the first Jurassic World as the one who's saying to her son, if you run into a dinosaur, run. Like she's just shows up. She is everywhere and she is always fun. You don't get to see what Bobby Cannavale as Jim Paxton, her husband can do. And I'll bet you saw that relationship. You're like, wow, that's an unusually healthy ex-husband, ex-wife relationship right there. I I was literally just thinking that I was like, I love everything about this so much. We're like the new it's the new husband is. Yeah, he's a total goofball. And you see Scott reacting to that, but it's not. Like the it, the movie is he's not the antagonist about like this. of the oh. first film. He is he is absolutely he hates Scott, and Scott proves himself as to be a good oh, guy and a good 
and a good father and he accepts him like i'm so glad that they didn't even fall out or anything this time they're like nope scott proved himself they're pals now i loved it yeah i loved it it was so cool i I will say and actually come to think of it the so going back to the original question of you know having never seen the first one did i enjoy the sequel Uh, i will say not only did i enjoy the sequel i mean the goal of any movie should be to make you enjoy watching it uh but for a sequel uh there's an additional sort of sub achievement in there, which is if somebody is seeing this film is, is seeing the sequel first, a good sequel will make you think, man, now I really want to go and watch the first one. Uh, and that and that film did do this for me. Uh, you will and, and you will enjoy it. Let's get, let's go through real quick. Uh, uh, loved Walter Walton Goggins as Sonny Birch. He was great uh, yeah. as the 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 whole truth serum thing, by the way. Oh, the truth share was amazing. Really funny. It was really funny. Yeah. It's stupid, but it's really funny. Lawrence Fishburne, yeah. playing Lawrence Fishburne. I mm-hmm. you know, I he was fine. There's I've seen him really try. I've seen him in he was in higher learning, was he not? And I know he's in Boys in the Hood. Um he yeah. is capable of some great stuff, you know, yeah. with the exception he, he was of just kind of Zion, hear me is the worst ever. We, but yeah, no, he was uh yeah, you do get the sense he was he he was on set on the days that they were filming. Evidently and, this is what he wanted though. He was he's of course Perry White in Superman and he does a great job in that mm-hmm. role. But he has always yeah. said he was a big Marvel fan, so I think he was just happy to be there i think he just wanted to do it and he seemed game for everything they yeah. were doing um let's talk mm-hmm. about ghost real quick about both the character and the yeah. actress i love this broken character not broken because of her powers but broken because of shield yeah and that the, is the, the the unwilling victim of a you know a, a twice victim first of the scientific disaster that gave her her powers which are also a curse and then of the government organization that, as she specifically said, weaponized her. And the you know the underlying question, of course, that you always have about soldiers: How do you come home again? Uh, I work mm-hmm. in a field. I in the people I work with um, is mostly mostly female dominated uh, where I work, and a lot of the women I work with are military wives and girlfriends, and they talk a lot oh. about the people that they are with and what those people. Um, are doing and going through what their experience of it is and how it's hard for them. And some things they're just totally okay with the, the, the casual conversation about, I know somebody who is married to a sniper and the casual conversation about what that Mm -hmm. guy does is, is it's chilling to me. Um, I'm not, I'm not here to make a, a, a value judgment on it. It's not my place or the place of this podcast to do that. Um, I understand mm-hmm. it's necessity, but it must be very hard for both, uh, her and of course him to come back to the real world where that is where, where people like me are chilled by that. Um, that's go- yeah, it's, well, be- I think it's, you know, it's, it is, it is in no way a, you know, a judgment, uh, a, it's no way an opinion or judgment to say that undeniably for better or for worse, doing that as your job changes you in ways that you cannot, you cannot leave at the office. Well, and the idea is often you go and you do that in a young period of your life, you sign up at 18 you most you know, many are out at like 23 24 and then out in the workforce but there are, are a significant number of veterans out there that don't reacclimate and aren't given the support they need 
and mm-hmm. and find themselves in bad ways. And I think this very light touch, it's a very light touch on a commentary of that to say, hey, when you're done doing the dirty work of the government or shield or you know whatever fictional version of it this is how do you acclimate how do you be a normal person how do you where where are the lines of what's okay and not okay to do um and mm-hmm. this film deals with that in a level-headed way and ultimately makes this character redeemable which i think is is a wonderful statement because it would be very easy yeah, the fact that be very easy Sorry, to I have no choice but to kill her you know or or I'm trying to save her but she's the instrument of her own destruction and dies in an explosion that she herself caused I mean it would be very easy screenwriting 101 to do that and instead to go no we're mm-hmm. gonna do senior level screenwriting today and redeem and save her is <laughs> is beautiful it's beautiful and it's and it's not and she's not just saved by Janet she's also saved by Bill Foster like so so Janet clearly sees her hurting and makes the choice to heal her but then immediately after that she's turning to bill she says go off go on your own thing and everything because you uh you know do your own thing and he's saying no no i am staying with you you are you are worth me staying with you um i really do i mean into god in today's day and age uh i love any story that essentially says there are other ways to deal with the bad guys than destroying them uh, they are not easy ways by any stretch of the imagination, uh, and they are not ways without consequence, but they are absolutely legitimate options. Let's talk really quick as we're talking about Ghost to talk about Ghost fighting Wasp is... So I could watch... Cool. A, I could watch... Get rid of the acting and the plot and everything. I mean, an hour and a half of this. Mm-hmm. This is... It is... in So fun. It is getting harder. It is getting harder and harder with the advent of CGI for a movie to do something fresh and interesting in a special effects. And so one of the trailers before uh, one of the trailers before Ant-Man and the Wasp was for the new Mission Impossible. And there was a shot of uh, Ethan Hawke, you know, halo jumping out of a plane. And let's, just, let, let's be and clear. It's Tom the, Cruise, but OK. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, <laughs> Ethan Hawke would be amazing in that role, though. A really kind of a dark. Oh, gritty, oh so he, wait, his name, his name is Ethan. The, the character's name is Ethan. Sorry. Sorry. You're right. Ethan Hawke would have also. Been oh, I thought you were. Yeah, thought, um, but Ethan Hawke. Can you imagine Tom Cruise like Tom Cruise quits and they hire Ethan Hawke to play Ethan Hunt? <laughs> That would be stoned. <laughs> yeah, no. That's what it was. Thank you. Thank you. Paramount call um, me. I'm here. You see I'm my confusion. <laughs> but the uh, so the thing is, and I'm realizing I was just like, oh, in order to do that shot, they must have had to have a cameraman who was also trained in, you know, uh, in para jumping fall out of the plane first and then film it. Or they did it with CGI. Either way, there was nothing about the shot that took my breath away. It was just mundane. Oh, it's another shot of somebody jumping out of a plane. And we have reached that point where the kind of thing that used to just blow us away, uh, it, it's, it's day to day now. And so to, to come up with something, especially in an action sequence that is new, a concept that's new uh, and that can, and then therefore relies on a new way of thinking about it in terms of CGI or special effects, uh, that is rare. And having one person who shrinks and grows constantly fighting somebody who quantum phases uh that that's never been done before and it was done fantastically here it felt fresh so fun it was so fun it was so fun and i walked out just going yeah 
how much fun we're not even talking the, the funny thing we're not even talking about all the amazing action because you know what the car chase through san francisco as the cars are growing and shrinking is also you great cannot, the, and you cannot go Lombard wrong with, Street. The, with the car chase through san yeah. francisco oh my gosh so much fun so much fun. and i i've lived in san francisco for years as a child um so seeing places that i know really well is always fun for me. Mm. Places that aren't New York, because it's always fun to see New York. Yes. I know New York really well too, as do you. You've lived there and I visited. But- yeah, but but New York is not, it, 90% of all important things in the world do not happen in New York City. 90% of all important things in the country do not happen in New York City. San Francisco is such a great place to have it be. And who, like, the fact they go on Lombard Street and it's the little car and going under cars and making the cars bounce everywhere. Oh, and then bouncing just, the that song. <laughs> the, and, the little kid in me is like, this is so awesome. And the and the and giant man uh using the, the now broken truck as a scooter, like scooting with his foot to push the truck <laughs> yeah, down the street. It's just amazing. <laughs> so much fun. See this movie, guys. They, they went real creative with this. Yeah. Um, I guess All the last right. person so, we haven't uh, talked we about are... is Michael Douglas. Oh, I am such a Michael Douglas fan, and he Huge. also was out for a while. If you've never seen the movie Falling Down, today, oh, this Falling day and Down age, is so good. Go see it. It's it's important as important today yeah. as it was then. Um, oh, you're so right. Yeah, go see Falling Down. Um, he is. It's yeah. wonderful to see him, and he's great. Uh, just like the first one, he's actually funny in this film too, which I love seeing him be funny because who knew he could. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's you know yeah. kind of a, a dour dude. Um, this film deserves to make all the money. This deserve th- this film shows that Hollywood can put out movies that are just a blast to watch and enjoyable all around. I I I mean can, let's let's just jump to the end because we're kind of running out of time. So let's uh, on a scale on a scale of one to five uh, 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 on a quantum scale. On a quantum uh, one scale something. of one to five ants, uh, how do you rate Ant-Man, sir? Uh, I would rate this a very solid four ants. Um, I've come to realize that a lot of the ratings that I've been given recently are solid fours. Um, but, well, a lot of the stuff we've been reviewing lately is Marvel, and Marvel's been doing pretty good. So, yeah, no, this is a there was nothing earth shatteringly uh, new or, you know, or you know, the world is Minus the not fights. a Minus massively the better yeah, um, the uh, the world is not a massively better place for this film having come out. You know, the superhero genre is not, you know, gravely affected. This was just a really well done, delightful romp of a film. Um, solid four. I my I have a seven year old. My seven year old has been looking forward to this so much. I showed him Ant-Man. Oh, cool. I showed him Ant-Man on Amazon probably a month and a half ago because he likes Spider-Man a lot. Thought I'd show him Ant-Man. It's Ant-Man everything. It's Ant-Man everything. He loves Ant-Man. Just the growing and shrinking. Just he loved it. He loved it. He's been counting down five days till Ant-Man, four days till Ant-Man, three days till Ant-Man. Oh, so, it makes me so, so let me I, Just let me excited. interject. The, the idea that there's a little kid out there who's been really, really looking forward to this movie in particular makes me so happy. He wanted to see the Avengers and I, could, I can't. He loves Spider-Man. I can't take him to see the Avengers. What oh, am I no, going to do? No, what what am I going to do? This kid has Spider-Man all over his room. I'm going to show him, Mr. Stark, please, I don't want to go. No, no, this, no, <laughs> I can't do no, that. No bad idea. So I had to go see, I brought my older son to see the Avengers and my wife and my, um, you know, my younger son stayed home at this, uh, you know, the aforementioned Bare Naked Ladies concert that I'm going to. Um, my mm-hmm. older son's coming. My younger son is staying home. There's still things because he's as young as he is. He can't go see. This is one he mm-hmm. could. And 
I am so I got to give it I'm going to give it four and a half because four for the movie and half for my son who can go see. Oh, that's absolutely worth half a star because there's I can't let him see Justice League. Why can't I let a seven year old see effing Justice League? That should be the movie he can go see. Like, there's no reason. At the very least, Superman. Yeah, there's no reason that constantly there are movies that he that I'm uncomfortable with him going to see because of the level of destruction. Like Thor Ragnarok, I'd love for him to be able to see, but goodness, there is a lot of stabbing. It's a very stabby yeah. movie. There's a there's a lot yeah. of stuff he yeah. loves, well, but it's a very stabby movie. There's a ton that's of stabbing. A, you know, movies. it's a good point for just for comic book films in general, is that you know, superhero films are being made now by people who grew up on superhero films. And so of course they are you know, it's like, and it's this recognition that there's a lot of adults out there who've been waiting to be able to see a superhero film, you know, about a particular character for 30 years. But it is easy to forget. Um, we all fell in love with these people when we were tiny little kids. And there's and no it's reason also to worth deny noting this that next in those, generation. In those stories, the bad guy did not always get decimated. There was not always constant death. There were also adventures. And this yeah. is an adventure. There were adventures, and the bad guy got away every single time. This he is an adventure. That, this reminds me of of uh, an Indiana Jones movie, which has shooting and yeah. horror elements to it. But it's an adventure. It's a romp. It's fun. Oh, you're right. It's an adventure. You're absolutely right. And an adventure is very different from a. Uh, I know. It, it, an, an adventure is different from a conflict. I think the problem you get when you get. What both Marvel and DC have been doing, which is let's get auteurs, let's get directors that have a singular vision and they want to bring their vision to it. The one problem that you get is the people who say, you know, I just want to make a a fun film. Let's just make a fun film. I don't need to make my statement about reality. And and so I am I am thankful for this movie and the way I was thankful for Solo, which I saw a second time. And if we could do another podcast about Solo, let me tell you there. I have thoughts. Um, I don't like it as mm-hmm. much as I did the first time around, but I'm thankful that that's that movie for my son. There needs to be something that is not just cartoons that we can partake in together. And I am. Yeah. Yeah. This is a f- strong four and a half for me. So next week, I guess we're doing Ant-Man. <laughs> so yeah, I guess so. an interesting, <laughs> an interesting conversation. Then X2, then X3. There's a lot more coming. There's more. And it's, at some coming. point, we There's, also should uh, we maybe before the summer is over, although we've uh, we've missed one. We should definitely do Incredibles and Incredibles 2. Incredibles 2 is fantastic. <laughs> that's, guys. That's I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, I very much enjoyed it. The uh, um, But yeah, because I, I really want to talk about those two films. But for now, my name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And hey there, true believers. Stay super. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not safe for work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. Search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Enlight Entertainment.